Good morning. My name's Dan. Um, my wife and I have been here for probably about 10, 14, 15 years. Finished up my MDiv and really privileged to be part of the teaching team here, uh, serving in this season. But um, just so you can know a little bit more about me, like I was a weird kid. Probably not surprised. Um, like we knew that, Dan. But I, I used to have recurring nightmares. Anybody have recurring nightmares? It was only like three or four nightmares, and they were just the same ones over and over. And the one that kills me is if any, if any of you guys have been to East Lansing, you know, right at the corner of Grand River and Hagedorn, it always changes. At my season, it was Country Market. Now it's been like where Tasty Twist is right near there, or Grand Traverse Pie. Or I'm in that, I'm in, there I'm in a station wagon, which is weird because we didn't have a station wagon. And it slips into neutral, and it's rolling backwards. And I'm in the back seat, so I can get the wheel but I can't get any pedals, and I'm like a toddler. And that's when I wake up. Like, I have no control over this car I'm in. And I never knew why I had that dream. I had a bunch, if you want to know more, just come. I'll tell you some more of them. But <laughs> has anybody had that dream, essentially that dream? Raise it, because I can see. First service, a lot more people had. That's like, maybe it's us, like, early morning types, but um, control issues. I just realized when I was preparing for this sermon, looking at this passage, you're, you're going to see why. I didn't have any control over my little life. The, everything, where I lived, what I ate, what sports I could do, I had no control. It was all out of my hands. And I think as God's people, we can feel that way sometimes. That our opportunities, the things we can do, the culture in which our kids are raised, before being a Christian was seen as a virtue. And now it's seen as one of the worst things and maybe even antithetical or against our culture and where we're trying to go. And we can feel like, man, the future may be bleaker than the past. And many of the decision makers and the forces behind that are outside our control. So maybe, maybe in our culture, we're feeling like a little kid in the backseat of the station wagon, just grabbing for the wheel. We can't hit the brakes, and we're just going to see what happens and hopefully wake up and, say, and see it was just a dream. In this series, we're looking at Daniel, a clash of cultures. How can God's people be faithful in, in a culture that many of our values are actually against the values of God? God saved his people out of Egypt. And he said, hey, I'm going to put you in this promised land flowing with milk and honey, but you can't worship any other gods. It has to be just us. And they worship other gods. And so he sends them out of the promised land. He exiles them to Babylon, which is where we're going to pick up. And, and some of the brightest and best, the young men from Israel are pulled into the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he says, what he's going to do is I'm going to train them in our literature in our arts, and our religion. And what he's doing is this. I'm going to show their best, brightest, a taste of the Babylonian good life. And when their best, brightest, best looking, most promising, worship our gods and serve all our culture, every other Israelite looking at them is going to fall in line. And we're going to erase their culture, erase their re religion. And can't that feel a little bit like our culture at times? Our culture that worships everything but the God of heaven. I want, I want to clear up one misunderstanding, though, because when I read this passage, I think I usually picture, like, Dan Campbell, coach of the Detroit Lions, like, against the world. It's like that level of, like, I don't care what you say or what you think. We're doing it this way. But these are 11 to 15-year-old boys. And I know I was kind of, like, emotional because I was sitting over here. If you're 11 to 15 in here, just stand up. A little a boy, 11 to 15, young man, just stand up. I mean, if you're in here... 
This is who I was worshiping behind. This is the age of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this book. So I want you to picture that with what's going on in this passage. Thank you, guys. I want you to, to, to picture that, that as this faithful remnant, the last ones being faithful to God, and they're on a razor's edge, just fighting for survival, and it's outside their control, and they're that age. So let's pray, and we're going to jump into Daniel 2. And I want to warn you guys, this is a long chapter. We're going to work through it all and, and give some little comments as we break it up, and I'm going to make a few points at the end, okay? So don't get nervous. We're just going to work through it together, all right? Um, let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. It's so deeply encouraging, Lord. It's what we need. We look to so many other places for wisdom, so many other kingdoms for security and success and to ourselves, but help us look to you and your word, Lord. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, uh, we're going to start with 1 through 11. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins." But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing, of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So King Nebuchadnezzar has a nightmare. It's terrifying. It's so terrifying, he pulls all his wise men, all his religious experts, all the men in his courts who have been training at this, some of the wisest people in the history of the world, and he says, I need to know what this means, but I need to know that it's not something you're making up. And the only way I can know that is if you tell me what my dream is and tell me what it means. Then I'll know it's supernatural. It's not just you making something up, right? And the wise men say like, this is crazy. That's not something that was done. 
No man can do this. Only the gods can do this. And they don't live here. That's what they say. If they can tell him the dream, then he can trust their interpretation is correct. Because this dream rocked him. This is the most powerful man in the world at this point in time. No one's conquering Babylon. It's unassailable. But God can get right into his dreams and, and give him, overwhelm him with terror. What he's asking these guys to do isn't difficult. It's impossible. I think that's important to see. It's impossible. Look with me uh, to 2.12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon." Look at this situation. God's saved a remnant from Israel. They're taken to Babylon. They've been faithful to God. They weren't exiled because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names. They're exiled because of the general unbelief in God's people. And there's these few guys holding on faithfully, and even they're about to be killed. And the kings actually sent out hunting parties to kill all the wise men. And Daniel has ice in his veins. They knock on his door. They're here to kill him. And he says, help me understand this. Why is this so urgent? <laughs> can you imagine? Why is this so urgent? He explains the situation. He goes, can you actually set a time for me and I'll tell the king what it means? Look at that faith, ice in his veins. This is the quarterback you want marching your team down the field with two minutes to go when the championship's on the line. Like when, when you're facing a legal trouble in your business and you might lose everything and, and the attorney says, we're going to work this out. Like, this is someone with ice in their veins. But you got to remember, he's 11 to 15. This is a young boy. It's not because of something in him. It's because he knows God. His faith and his dependence. Look at his dependence. The first thing he does after he says, all right, give us the time to tell the king. He goes and tells his buddies, you got to pray. And then he waits for God to answer, right? He waits for God to answer. His faith and independence. When your back's against the wall... Do you have that kind of faith and that kind of dependence? Are you going to look for your own wisdom and your own understanding to find a way out? Let's look at um, the next section here in verse 19. It says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. 
He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. In response to Daniel's faith and his prayers and those of his companions, God reveals the mystery. Look at this. There's like one sentence they prayed, and then there's a huge chunk of praise for who God is that he revealed. We get so much more of his praise than his request recorded here. I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were praying the whole time. But in terms of what God shows us is the request is as a line and the praise is long. And this is kind of like a, a, a Hebrew custom. We kind of did the five-paragraph essay. That's probably what you guys are working on maybe in school, our, our young bucks. But um, they didn't do the five-paragraph essay. They did a, a chiasm. And you kind of have parallel images that correspond. And then in the middle, you kind of have the central truth. So right here in the center of this passage, the central truth is, blessed be God. God has the wisdom. God has the power. God has the authority. It's praise to the God who's in control of everything. This is before the king calls off the hunting parties. He's like, I'm going to take time and I'm going to praise God for what he just did. Before the hunting parties are even called off, do you worship God in the middle of trials? Before he answers, do you worship? Let's look at verse 24 here. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Now, Daniel rushes in. He says, hey, Hold up, Arioch, don't kill everybody. Arioch, the captain of the guard, runs into the king of Babylon and says, I found a guy who can reveal the interpretation to you. And some commentators see evidence that Arioch is trying to like, I found a guy, take some credit. I don't know, it may or may not be the case. But one thing is clear, Daniel is going out of his way to make sure that the right person gets the credit. My mom taught me this, like in, in business, you, you don't want to tell your boss how you got it done. They don't care. They want to know that you got it done. 
You don't tell them, it was really hard to do this order and I had to do this and I had to get it expert. They just want to know, yeah, I can handle that. Yeah, I got it done. That's how you continue to advance. And your boss says, I like this, this person. They're trustworthy. They get it done. Nothing's a big deal to them. That's increasing their trust. So Daniel's taking a big risk because he rolls into the guy whose word goes, the guy who says, kill all these people and it happens. Okay. And Daniel says, the answer to his question is, can you interpret the dream for me? The answer is, yes, sir. But Daniel says, I can't, but God can. There is a God in heaven. And he praises the one who can get it done. Do you credit God with your successes? Do you credit him with your successes before people who don't believe in him? Do you credit him with your successes in front of people who don't believe in him whose word determines your future and the outcome of your life. Daniel does. It's incredible. All right, let's look at the next section here. This is uh, 31. It says this, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, 
and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is of a huge statue. The head's gold. The chest is silver. Kind of the middle and the legs is bronze. The lower legs and feet are iron mixed with clay. And we're going to see, because remember how I told you about the Hebrew five-paragraph essay, the chiasm, in seven and eight kind of mirrors this, and Daniel has other visions that even give more detail. Okay, so just look it up on your own time. I don't think we're going to get there in this series, I'm pretty sure. It's wild, because it actually reveals every major kingdom that's going to come in human history until the time of Christ. So if you don't believe in God... If you don't believe in God or if you think the Bible is a book just written by people, like you're going to have to figure out how to deal with this. You're just going to have to deal with it. It tells what's going to happen. So if you're a secular scholar, you're looking at this and you're saying, this is not from 600 BC written by Daniel in exile in Babylon. There's no way because this is impossible to know. How can we know? Well, one, uh, in Isaiah 46, I, 40 through 46 is all wild, but in 46... He literally calls out two of the gods when the, when the boys get renamed and become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those little gods that they're named after, he addresses them in Isaiah 46. And he says, which of them is like me? You've got to carry them on their back. I tell you the future and what's going to happen. Let one of them try, Isaiah 46. So this is what our God says he does, so it's consistent. But sure, they could have made that up too, right? Well, you guys ever heard the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls? There's some little boys like throwing rocks, you know, Middle East. Here's something crash. You know, it's like, you know, it's these guys. They're like, what's going on in there? Let's check it out. And they find all these like, you know, clay pots and there's scrolls in there. This is a community that, that broke off and kind of like, you know, secluded themselves from society to stay faithful to God. You know, as, as the Greeks and Romans were coming. It's like 167, 164 BC um, when they... When they um, Basically, Antiochus Epiphanes came in, took over the temple, sacrificed a pig on the altar, profaned it, put up a statue of Zeus in God's temple. It's the stuff that Daniel's saying is going to happen in his book. Now, when they look in those little pots that these little boys found, the book of Daniel's in there. So, is it possible that this book was written right when these guys broke off? It's totally made up. And these religious zealots said, yeah, this is from God this book that we know was just written just now. You get what I'm saying? If, if this book was a, like a, from 167, they wouldn't have accepted it. So we know for sure, like God, this book, you have to decide, it predicts every major human event in history. And it's not made up in the second century. So you gotta deal with that if you, if you don't believe in this. You gotta figure that out. Um, wild, what, what God does. Um, Let's look at what happens here after he reveals the dream. Is verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. He rules over every God, over every king. And he's a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts. 
and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel remained at the king's court. In the face of certain death, Daniel and his companions never compromised. They knew there was a God they trembled at and a king they feared. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. And they stayed faithful. And not only were they saved, they were vindicated. They were exalted because they trusted in the Lord alone. They trusted in the Lord alone. And we'll get to our big idea here. In the face of certain death, they trusted the Lord alone. And we can see that in our hostile culture, we can have hope because God is greater. He alone removes and sets up kings. And he alone, his kingdom will be everlasting. His kingdom alone will be everlasting. Let's look at them one at a time real quick. God's kingdom is greater. Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. And in 11, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. No human wisdom could know this dream and then interpret it. It can't be from human wisdom. And then look again at verse um, 20, where Daniel's praising the God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Human wisdom, we learn, we grow. It's acquired with age. God doesn't acquire wisdom. He has wisdom. God doesn't learn. He reveals. He reveals wisdom. It's completely different than our human experience of wisdom. I see so many Christians these days evaluating God's wisdom. I'm parenting, dating, work, defining masculinity and femininity, defining what the good life is and what we're going for. I look at parenting. God's word in Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I'm seeing our culture saying, we're not doing the discipline. We're just doing instruction. And it's not going to be instruction in the Lord. It's going to be what our culture is teaching us right now. But is God revealing his wisdom to us, or do we get to evaluate his wisdom? Um, I don't know if we have as many young people in this service as the other one, but with dating. And dating right now, with the effects of social media, it's very much feelings-based and like what we are looking for. It's, it's very transactional. And I'm seeing us, God's word says, we're free to marry, but only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, only in the Lord. And then I see young people saying, ah, but I feel attracted to this person and I haven't had my heart do that much, so I gotta follow it. But God's word and God's wisdom says, only in the Lord can we get married. I see us defining the good life as, man, I want to make my life easy and independent. And God's word is saying, we want to take up our cross and follow him. That's the path to the good life. He who loses his life will find it. And we're trying to find our life and we can't figure out why we're losing it. God already revealed that to us in his wisdom, okay? Where do you look for wisdom? Is it going to be to God and his wisdom or is it going to be to our world? If you're looking to your wisdom, how's it working? It never works for me. I keep trying it. It never works. 
We, we can have hope in a hostile culture because God's wisdom is greater, but we can know our hope is secure because God's kingdom is greater. God's kingdom is greater. Look at verse 33 to 30, 34 and 35 where he's describing the dream. A stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. God's kingdom will destroy every kingdom that sets itself up against the wisdom and knowledge of God. And in in verse 44, it says, he will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. There's not another part of the statue coming after. The statues are gone. The rock is here, and it's turning into a mountain, and it's going to fill the whole earth. Even Alexander the Great, the kingdom of bronze, said filled the whole earth, but it was just the known world to them. The kingdom of God, the great mountain, will fill the entire earth. Parts of the world they didn't even know about are going to be in God's kingdom. Will you live for that kingdom? I know my wife and I spent a couple years restarting crew in Berlin, some of the best years of my life. Um, We moved over there, didn't know anything. We figured out where the campuses were, started sharing our faith. But um, you'll never believe how big our budget was to move me and my wife over there and get mattresses, couches, bikes. Um, we had a pretty big budget. It was $800 all in. And luck, my wife's good with money, so that was great. But everything we looked at, we were like, should we buy this? We might be here two years. We might be here five or ten. But we don't have the kind of money to take anything we buy here and bring it back home with us. It's just for here. It's just for this temporary place we're living, Right? We had these mattresses that somebody gave us for free, which were a blessing. I think they're from 1970. And I definitely got some hip bursitis that lasted like uh, over a decade. So that might not have been a wise. That was our limitation though. Uh, Man, storing up treasures on earth is like that. Living for this kingdom is like that. The things we, we build into in this kingdom, we can't take it with us. We're just here a short time. If we're going to live for God's kingdom, like, okay, yeah, if we had the money, if we had like a $1,000 budget or $1,200, I would have got a mattress because that wasn't wise to like have bursitis for 10 years. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't spend money. I love spending money. Um, But we got to think like, is this something that's going to last? Is this something that's going to help me be a blessing to other people? Or is this something where it's like, I'm trying to build a kingdom here versus living for his kingdom? Does that make sense? And it's, it's a wisdom issue, um, but it's something we've got to think about. Are we going to live for this kingdom, or are we going to live for God's kingdom? Um, how do we do it in our lives? It's not a passive resignation. Like, I don't see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being like, oh, well, we'll see what God does here. They're not just checked out of the process, but they're also not in a desperate power struggle. They're not trying to give up, and they're not trying to control. They're looking to the Lord. They're confident and faithful to honor God alone. And that's where we're at, right? We're exiles here in this world, but we're seeking the welfare of those around us. We're seeking the welfare of those around us. What about for us who don't have the faith of Daniel? We don't have the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, comprom- we, we lean on our own understanding, our own wisdom. We lean on building our own kingdom rather than living for God's. So, so often. Where's our hope? Our hope is in the rock. The rock not cut with human hands. When Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, the wise men all of a sudden were wrong. 
the gods whose dwelling is not with man, the God did dwell with man. He took on flesh as Jesus Christ. He said the, king, the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. That's what Jesus Christ came and said. But the kingdom of iron mixed with clay and the feet was still in charge. And when the Roman soldiers put him on the cross, it looked like they won. It looked like the feet of iron and clay had crushed the rock. But three days later, he rose. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned against God by trying to build a kingdom apart from God, trying to seek wisdom apart from God. He measured up where we don't. He died for all the times we lean on our own understanding, all the times we build our own kingdom. And he rose from the grave to justify us so that our hope in his eternal kingdom is completely secure because it's not based on what we did. It's based on what he did. It's based on the rock. That rock is going to win. This isn't a power struggle where there's a balance between good and evil. The kingdom of God is growing. It's going to become a mountain. It's going to fill the entire earth. Our place in it is secure. Take heart. God is wiser than any human ingenuity that challenges him. Our culture is nothing new. It's nothing that God's people didn't see in the kingdom of gold, silver, bronze, iron and clay. It's nothing new. God is wiser. And his kingdom is greater. And its advance can never be stopped or slowed. And if you're in Christ, your place in it is secure. Let me pray for us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, let us live for your kingdom. Let us look to your wisdom, Lord. Forgive us for all the times we fail. Thank you that you've already covered every sin if we're in Christ, Lord. If anybody here is not in Christ, Lord, let them do business with you today, God. Let them bow the knee. Help them stop evaluating and judging your wisdom, but receiving it with joy. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.